Happy New Year. Hey, it's episode 33 of AV Testing. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And for better or for worse, we're back. What year is it, Alan? 2016. Good job. What, what's, what's the wrong answer? Anything other than 2016. You know what? I'm, this isn't on the board, but you know what's wrong? 2016. We've covered this. We have, yeah. Okay. I, I think we covered it like exactly a year ago because we didn't call it 1,910. We called it 1910. I don't get it. No, it's 2016. I, I get that it was awkward to say 2001 or 2002. Yeah, and it wasn't so until... I'm, I'm on board. But once we pass the 10 mark, it's 2010. And what the? we just found a dead animal in the Palatial Podcast Studios. But actually, it was just the sound on Brent's phone. So I got a a new phone, <laughs> and there are st- <laughs> apparently it's a the, new OS, and there's still there's a dead rodent <laughs> embedded in it. <laughs> there are still random noises that come out of like, what the hell was that sound mean? I will. Um, I don't know if the podcast picked that up, but that gave me a little chill. <laughs> it kind of sounded like a. Oh, speaking speaking of a chill, you know, I've been. Uh, Took a little time over the holidays. Yeah, to, I saw uh, I saw on Twitter that you picked up uh, snowboarding. No, I wa- no, I snowboarded once. My <laughs> daughter wants to switch from skiing to snowboarding, so we thought it'd be a fun little family thing. A lot of families go to movies, and we went to Star Wars. Yep, uh, as did ours. Or, or bowling. We decided we take the whole family, and we're all going to give snowboarding a shot just for one night. And um, uh, we, my daughter kicked butt. She's going to be totally great. Uh, I did better than I thought I would, but one thing about learning to snowboard is uh, you fall a lot. And when you're older and bigger like me, um, those falls, man, I, I, I'm still recovering from a couple of them. I have never snowboarded. Uh, I haven't downhill skied. The last time I skied was like 10 years ago, and it was cross-country. So as you know, as I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast, I'm on a... Uh, now, don't take this the wrong way. I'm on a ski racing team, but it's really an excuse to go down the hill and then drink beer when you're done. It's it's uh, it's competitive, but not. It's like a think bowling. Is it like last one down the hill buys? No, think bowling on a ski slope. It's head to head. I mean, you race twice a night um, on on you go up on Thursday nights, but uh, it is. I, I'm not wearing any specialized gear or anything. I'm just trying to beat the guy next to me, and then um, once I finish my second race, I go straight to. The little ski hut at the bottom and get some beer. That, except for the whole exercise bit, that almost seems like a perfect yeah. day. I like skiing is how I get through. Look out the window, Brent. You guys in podcast line can't see the window, but you see the typical Seattle dark gray cold fog here. The fog is all the way up to the floor twenty. That's impressive. Yeah, it, it's gross. Hey, so, one aside. So um, your family went to see Star Wars. We I, did. My family went to see Star Wars. I, uh, spoiler alert. No, we're no spoilers. Let's not make – oh, no spoilers? That makes we, no, we should, we, 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 we shouldn't <laughs> spoil. Just but, in let's case. Let's see. All right. We'll, here's we'll, here's we'll the challenge. It. So far, no spoilers. Here's the challenge. Alan, what's the top – Positive and the top negative thing um, about the new Star Wars movie from your point of the view. The top positive thing is the movie rocked. The top negative thing is the next one doesn't come out for 18 months. Oh, that was that, well done on the no spoiler, but that was boom. boring and safe. <laughs> 
I'll We're, show you boring and safe. <laughs> I, I do that every podcast. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, you set them up, I'll knock them down. Are we going anywhere with this? No. All right. I guess good. not. All right. All right. <laughs> you scared me with the whole spoiler thing, and I'm like, oh, I don't need yeah, that. Yeah, it, 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 it was a good movie. We'll talk about it later. And the and if you want to, I mean, the internet is full of theories already. It's great. I, I'm digging it. I'll put it this way. My favorite part was I really liked the ending, even though you could kind of see that the ending was going to happen throughout the whole movie. Yeah. But there was something, but the way they did it, yeah. I liked it. I agree. But the biggest thing that bugged me is except for, I don't think, hey, Han and Leia are in this movie. I don't think that's a spoiler. Except for Han and Leia, I thought it interesting the ages of the entire leadership in the entire movie. I don't get it. All of the generals were like 20-somethings. All right. And I'm like, uh, that just sat with me as like, really? Maybe they, yeah, dude. Maybe they they're like these inhumans that they're actually like 150 years old. Yeah, and they just looked that old. Hopefully, he explains it. Otherwise, I just like this is weird. General right. Tarkin, he was intimidating because he 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 looked old and grizzled, and he knew he's killed billions before. All he's, right, all right. Anyway, so can we move on, or did you do anything else in your holidays that is worth? discussing for our three listeners so obviously the holiday thing um it was a break for me from from school and from work uh so the first time in like two years i got reacquainted with uh my xbox oh i was gonna mention that because i saw that you and i have been playing the same game lately uh you i've only been playing one so how do you feel about fallout (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm liking it because, you know, I was horribly addicted to Skyrim when it came out. Different series, same publisher. You see a lot of the same yep. game mechanics if you did Skyrim. And, oh, look, it's a video game review show. But uh, it is inappropriate to play when my children are around. Not like Grand Theft Auto inappropriate, but a little bit too much blood and broken bones sticking out of bodies for uh, 11-year-olds. Me and my 14-year-old are... Yeah, I think I figure I'm a couple couple years away from that blood being actually cool and not like uh, disturbing. Uh, so yeah, um, and some again, no judgment. I'm sure there's some 11 year olds that handle it just fine and understanding wives who would let their kids get away with that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it. I think it's the story, like like Bethesda does. And again, sorry for the video game review. It's a, the storyline's fun. There's enough variation in gameplay that it keeps me interested. I play um, – my goal is like – I don't play every night, but if I, but like three or four or five days a week, I play a little bit after the kids go to bed. I try and like gain a level every time, <laughs> which, is, which means I have to – as you know, it's the, the leveling like most games is – gets sort of exponential as you go up. So as you – each level takes a little harder, longer to get to. So Have you played any from the Fallout series before? No. Oh. So but I, I just – um, I may go out back and do Fallout Three on 360. Actually, it'll play on. Um, it on now plays on Xbox One. Xbox One now comes with fully backwards compatibility to not, Xbox not, 360. Not, not fully, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but the point is it's that full except for if I can all finish the my statement. Go ahead. I was just going to say because I bought Fallout Four, I got a free Fallout Three. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a shot, and um, yeah, we'll see. I'm enjoying Fallout. I'm level 15 now. 
I think you're up like twenty or something. I'm twenty five. Yeah. You're, oh, you're gaining on me. You've been doing a, you've been doing a little bit more than the level a night then. Uh, no, no, I was I uh, no. Because I looked online a while back and you're like nineteen. You can you can stock and see my levels. Yeah, you're in my my Xbox friends list. No, I know, but you. Uh, yeah, tell okay. tell us what you're doing and what, what level you are. Okay. Brit, what Brit is playing <laughs> playing Fallout Four on Xbox One, level nineteen, no. and so yeah. I have only leveled up I think twice since we've come back to work. I've only played one day. Yeah, yeah it was like twenty two on Sunday. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, but it's a great game. Uh, Bethesda could could get me to at this point in time. They could release. Uh, Hey, our new game, Crap on a Stick. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they do. Um, they have a good game engine, and good. They put some good thought into their games. Yeah, I, so, I like the nonlinearity, and and they they have done a great job doing story development, even given a non-linear world. Yeah. So now that we're down to two listeners, no, no, because our they, three listeners are complete geeks. Uh, yeah, they probably all have PS4s or Wii U's. Right. Uh, do you let's wanna, go to two. Let's go to two. All right. So I did a tweet about this. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, and actually, when I thought of straw man arguments in the past, I always thought it's like, you know, you take something out of context and you throw that up there. But I was looking at the uh, straw man argument Wikipedia page. I realized there's this thing that bugs me in a lot of writing about software that's exactly one of the bullet points in a straw man argument where the straw man you throw up is, and it makes total sense when I think about it now, this throw up is not the right word, but the straw man argument uses, you say something that's sort of absurd or at least incorrect. And then you base your article on, on, on the other end of that. And it's all over the place. I see things like most of you think that unit testing is useless. Here's why, here's three ways how it can help your team. Then, wait, most of who? Or I see things like uh, driving towards co- driving towards a. Or most of you agree that code coverage is useless for most software activities. Let me show you how it can be helpful. So is this a straw man argument where you make a sweeping generalization it, without any? No, you set yourself up. There is. Um, I forget the name of the fallacy for sweeping generalization. Like um, we talked about this one before, and I used, I used to remember it. But you talk to one manager at Microsoft, and he says something. He goes, "Management at Microsoft says blah." I think it's a little bit different. I think the straw man is when you you set up the statement you want to say by making an argument that is either out of context or incorrect. Okay. Because the, the challenge I had with your examples is like most of you, it, the first thing I went to is, okay, what, where the hell did you get your data? Yes, and that's so, what happens So maybe all you're combining. And often it's anecdotal. I mean, you see this all the time with um, – I see several people who tweet about you know, managers aren't enabling people to do blah. This is a little bit out of, on the edge of a stretch. Um, managers aren't being nice to their employees. So, well, which managers? Well, I talked to two managers and they weren't being nice, so managers aren't. It's like, yeah. Um, but I want to start calling these, I want to like make a collection of these for a blog post or something. And maybe it's just me that I notice them, but, and I find the sites that I don't want to pick on people that'll get mad, but the sites that sort of crank out articles, like their whole idea is just to get crank out these, uh, half written articles. And I say half written because literally they do like two paragraphs and they say more to come next time. It's all about getting ad, getting, uh, views for the ads. 
Oh. So they only write about 400 words at a time. And, it's, and most of those are set up with some sort of straw man argument. And just – and again, I could vote with my feet and stop reading those things. But I do have a lot of blogs and, and news sites in Feedly and I go through most of them every day and kind of glance through them and just looking for nuggets of information, nuggets of inspiration just to see what's going on. And so I could just stop reading those and and fix it for myself. But I just wanted to bring it up because I learned I, – I, I guess the main thing was I didn't realize that that was a form of straw man. But now that I think about it, of course it is. So that was my big revelation to share today. The it, it, that's not quite an Alan Page soapbox rant, but we'll <laughs> um, we'll just throw it out there in the, in the new and improved new year. Years ago, started blogging, and and it's interesting. It's slowly transforming, but a lot of the the reason why I started it is just to get practice at. It gave me a reason to practice. Writing and communication. Yeah, it's funny. If you go back and look at my very f- first or very second or third, one of my first three blog posts from um, when did I start? Uh, a long time ago, 2006? No, 2004? I was still on the Windows CE team. So 2004 um, was for the, for the exact same reason. Just wanted to practice writing. Yeah, and it's it's been helpful for that, but now I. I play different games with my blog like uh, the the uh how do i change what i write about or my writing style to inspire different behaviors for example you go to alan will will write a blog hey i read this book and he'll get like 15 uh comments on there to me i treat comments like gold I uh, essentially write a book, <laughs> and I know people are looking because I look at the stats, and and um, there's a rating page, and I get people to 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 vote on a rate, but comments don't show up, and I'm, and I'm I, I found you have to piss people off a little bit to get them to comment or or really, yeah. I, I found I found so here's my current acting theory. All right. Is I need to not cover all bases. I need to create holes so that other people can add value. Yeah, but don't add lines that say more about this next time, or I'll talk about that in a future blog post because those things drive me crazy. I, I will do when I bring up a topic. I will do things like, yeah, that's a future blog post. All right, but. So- what I, I've done once the 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 series model. This I've is done, part I, one. And to be clear, two. I've done series before as well. But as I, I will never do it again. One of the things uh, that if you read any book about writing, they'll tell you many great ideas, and, and I can recommend books on writing. But I'm not going to today. But books on writing will tell you one of the best ways to get to be a better writer is to read a lot. And that's true for, I think, a lot of creative fields. When um, in college, when we had our jazz band auditions, we had a great jazz instructor. And uh, a lot of times, um, he would listen to you play for a little bit, but he asked, who do you listen to? And, and make sure you had a good repertoire of artists that were sort of you know, relevant and, 
you know, inspirational at the tip of your tongue to prove that you actually listen to that stuff. Cause that's one of the ways of getting better at improvising and getting ideas for jazz is just to listen a lot. And anybody who's any good, you know, I mean, they will tell you everybody they listen to all the time. And so same thing with reading. And one of the things looping this back, a lot of what I've learned about or what has influenced my own writing style is things that I've read. And the fact that I get annoyed when I see these half-written articles that say more to come next time, I go, but you, you only wrote like 100 words. And I'm exaggerating now. But I realize I never want to do that. I never want to do that more to come next time. And the series thing's the same thing because it's um, – although I've done it in the past, you know, guilty. Um, as I read more and more of these you know, sound bites of information that we get on the internet these days, I realize that uh, I, I don't want to read a series thing. So I want to get the information I want and then – if the if the blog if the author is good enough I will come back even if it is a series and you don't call it a series uh, maybe that's better but you know I find things I like and don't like in that writing I try and reflect some of those things on my own but as you know most of my writing is um, sort of a flurry of conscious like I'm thinking like oh I want to tweet this I go there's no way I can tweet this in like one or two or three tweets I'll write a couple paragraphs oh I'm, is that your decision uh, what. No, so so um, one big difference between you and I is you're always up on the the Twitter sphere. I'm I'm up on the Twitter sphere primarily in response to something. Somebody, yeah, I'll go up. I will look at Twitter three, four, five times a day, just like in between meetings or during lunch or something, and I'll catch up. And I never like look through like I don't know if anybody does this who follows any number of people. I never like go catch up on my tweets. I'll look at the last dozen or so tweets. And if there's anything I want to reply to, I will. I may throw something out there. I may throw something out there as a general comment to many of the tweets that have gone by. Um, you're, so, you're, I, so I wouldn't say always, but I think it's frequent. Well, what, what I was Fre- commenting on is that you're, um, you're an opener far, far more often than I am. You'll go in and I'll often see rants or I'll often see uh, status updates or things like that. Um, yeah. So I completely agree around the more to come. It, it's, it's, it's not a good device. I, I, I've tried this. Uh, but it, it depends. It is a good device if the entire goal is to get viewers to your site to get ad money. Sure. That's Absolutely. not a problem I'm interested in uh, solving in my case. No, me neither. But for me, the, the, when I use the device, it is often when I'm writing something, I've realized, hey, the rationale for the thing I just wrote could actually be an entire other blog post. I'm just going to say, hey, this could it'd be at some of the lines. If this could be another blog, maybe one day I'll write up on it. I leave it to the reader to go do their own research. Otherwise, trust me, this is the reason why I said this. Moving on. Because as we all well know, I am riddled with ADHD. And if I were to follow that thread, that's going to be a hundred page block. <laughs> so do you hear that sound? That's the sound of a beating of a dead horse. Wow. So, um, but on the same subject, uh, you wrote a blog post recently about combined engineering. Yes, the uh, that the I've chosen to call unified engineering, but for various reasons we covered before. But uh, if you haven't read it, go to testastic 
www.wordpress.com. And nice, lengthy, tough for the ADHD crowd to get through that. I, it took me two sittings. Why? Why was it? It tough? was long. Oh, yeah, that's lots a... of paragraphs, <laughs> words and words and words. Yeah, um, I have been told um, that one of my communication problems is um, uh, in, I often choose to say in ten words what can be said in three. Wasn't uh, <laughs> is it Mark Twain that said I was going to write you a short letter, but I didn't have time, so I wrote you a long one instead. <laughs> Yeah, no, and you know what? That sounds funny, but I completely and totally understand that. <laughs> Anybody who's done any writing totally would. Oh, speaking of long words, um, total rant. When did people start using the word utilize instead of use? Uh, I'm going to, it's like little five-year-olds, going, I'm going to utilize a blue crayon to draw this. I think that's when... Um when synthesis kind of got out of favor in terms of management buzzwords? Excellent. So, <laughs> oh, God. So, I, um, good blog post. Uh, one thing, and I don't think you meant to imply this, but one thing that, you know, when you read, there are techniques on reading. And, I, and if there's like something that bothers you, it ends up distracting you from comprehension. One of the reasons I had to read this twice, because in the very first or second paragraph, I don't think you intended it, but you, it sort of made you sound like that unified engineering was invented in Bing. And, and to be clear, there, there are teams doing an engineering team without a separation of development and test. No. You know, it, you know, as you, which I'm sure you'll agree with. Many, many other companies. I think one of the first places at Microsoft – if not the first place that Microsoft had to happen was over in the Bing team. So I will say, um, and I spent some time trying to, because the, the way I worded that first definitely implied it, and I didn't want to do that. However, here's, here's what I'll say. The foundations of the model were not invented in Bing or in Microsoft. Absolutely not. It, it was much like other companies do, and they watch Microsoft to see what they're doing. Like we know, for example, Amazon is like ten year is following the model we did ten years ago, and it's in primarily some ways. It not I, you know that's to be clear. I wouldn't say that wholeheartedly. There's some bits of the model, but following is probably too hard. But what happens is Amazon has gotten a lot of ex Microsofties, and they've taken what they've used yeah, to and they've influenced for the model. for better or for worse. Right. I think <laughs> it depends on your point of view. Uh, I think for Amazon, for worse. If you're a competitor of Amazon, for better. Um, well, one thing I'm going to interrupt because that's what we do on this podcast. Yeah. But one thing it's, I like about what I hear about Amazon culture is they have these company values that come up daily in meetings. Like they actually live their company values. I'm going to ask you, name one of Microsoft's company values. Point. Point made. All right, go on. Yeah. Uh, we used to do that, actually. In the first decade of my career, I remember having lots of discussions around um, our competencies and aligning. Yeah. We would have brainstorming meetings and align discussions to our competencies, which was – that's the most recent version of values that I've actually paid attention to. <laughs> that's old. But to your thing, no, it wasn't invented, but um, there was a very, I mean, it, 
how to do this model, other companies have done it before, right? The specific variant um, and the specific set of documentation that got deployed at Microsoft did initiate in Bing. Honestly, and this could be a huge rat hole, I don't think the initial, and it rarely is it, but I don't think the initial implementation for people I've talked to of unifying engineering um, was particularly successful in Bing. Um, And let me give you some anecdotal stories. And and, and again, it was a large part of the group, but a lot of people I've talked to um, I feel like I'm like have looped Brent into this like uh, I'm ready Char- for it. Charlie Rose sort of interrogation. So anecdotally, I've known a lot of people in that org. Uh, I've heard following statements: managers were surprised that by making everybody a developer, that uh, throughput didn't increase reflectively. I heard that from multiple people. I also heard that you know a lot of the, but probably more believable was that in that move. This is one of the things talked about in things that fail is a lot of um, people were valued on feature feature output in production, mm-hmm. and that a lot of the testing activities, although necessary, were valued less or not done. So that so the first one I never heard. Okay, in terms of a, a throughput, uh, a theoretical throughput test that failed. I, had, I, I've talked again. I was in Bing. I talked yeah, to you, a lot you, of folks. Yeah, I had you, never you, heard you, that. Your one. knowledge is a little better than mine. Mine's a second hand, but I the, think the I think there was enough one, to learn there. The but. second one. I mean, the, by far, the the biggest double quote surprise was that quality fell. And that I did hear a lot, and um, the the focus on features. Now that is one of the things I experienced. Two different models: the the model um, that they deployed in Bing. Okay, and that was their first attempt. And not only that, so they started off with one specific team, and that one specific team worked very well. And then they very rapidly broadened it. The the thing that I believe that they did an error is they had the right thing, but they had the wrong principles and goals that they were trying to accomplish. Things like throughput or um, efficiency. Okay, uh, Several of these things, and it, it occurred to me, I actually had a mentee the other day um, come to me and he started talking about combined engineering. And I'm like, uh, I had just written my blog uh, three days ago at that time. And I'm like, did you read my blog? Is that why you're here? He's like, uh, you blog? <laughs> and I'm like, and that happens quite often. Read a- this and come back. That, that happens quite a lot. I don't, I don't, uh, don't understand that phenomenon. But there was that experience in Bing and the, and the, the learnings and the, the mistakes. And then after... After about a year and a half, I went to uh, a different team, and they wanted to go with this model, and they had learned that I was there, so I helped to instruct it. Um, The biggest thing that I realized that I left out of my blog was very specific common things people do 
that they should not. As an example, you should... Although this is one I called out. One of the mistakes that they did is they wanted to do the combined engineering. And they said that they valued the test expertise as much as the feature expertise. But their actions and their words were not um, with strong integrity of each other. I believe it. Right. Um, But the teams where their actions and the words lined up succeeded with the unified engineering model. They, they, they recognized that it, it comes down to there's this prevailing subversive belief that the, the prior test team didn't add value and never did. The only value that they had is now those guys would do my testing for me. Right? And actually, we, we served a... a a stronger purpose than that, and those teams that that realized that became stronger. Uh, and and in actuality, we, I think we talked about this last last time. Um, what I am finding is the teams that go whole hog into unified engineering with with a respect both points of view and have the, the leadership run by the test, they're actually shaping up to be stronger than the prior. And I think it's because test had a strength with respect to balancing quality and features. Right? We always were for the, the one month test pass at the end, we were always only given two weeks, so we had to be able to do a, a good ROI uh, to, to prevent someone coming in yelling at us and blaming us for the quality at the end. And also, I think Tess is inherently um, better at doing the generalist to in-between yeah. shift. I agree. I agree. Hey, real quick. Um, yeah. One thing you didn't touch on your blog, I'm curious to know your answers on, is what are a couple things that you definitely don't want to do when you have a unified engineering team? Well, I think I just touched on one. Yeah, right. What, what? What's the, give me some more. Uh, it's, easy, it's easy to mess up, right? So just give you a couple quick, if that hap- ever happens with you, but we'll, um, a couple examples. Ideas. You, notions. You don't want to have the incentive principles be of the old world. You mean like features or what, what, what incentives? Right. You don't, you don't, it's a new team, it's a new concept. You don't want to try to figure out how to um, take these new guys from that discipline and now rank them through the world that you're used to. You have, you have to change the worldview. So one of the things I do think I, I, I glossed over, the incentive structure has to change. So how do you incentivize people? What 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 is the right? What is a right? What what are some? What do you do to incentivize people in the right way in a unified engineer? I'm going to hand wave on 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 this one, but it, it's um, you need to value throughput and quality, and you don't stack rank those two. It's 
No, it's the, the you've heard the phrase the tyranny of ore. It's mm-hmm. not an ore. Y- yeah, y- you can't provide me ten features with quality a- level one and call a win. No, right? That, but and you can't just in the unified engineering team. You can't just the other thing you can't have um, is a cast system. You you cannot create uh, this new unified engineering team. That, that, in my view, is what makes a difference between a combined engineering team and a unified engineering team. Uh, good point. And I love the analogy in the blog about salad dressing. Yeah. So, and I've seen this before. Well, I've seen, well on my feature team, the unified engineering team, they have a scrum team. Um, on my feature team, you know, so-and-so and I are the testers, so we do the testing for everyone else. That's our role on the scrum team. Brett just, oh, you know what? I saw this on Big Bang Theory last night. You can actually hear someone's eyes roll. Yeah. Especially when <laughs> I watched that last night as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, <clears throat> the, one of the problems that my mentee has uh, is, was that, it was, was that issue? So his expertise, his strengths were in infrastructure, test automation, end-to-end, Testing, mm-hmm. okay, um, that was a value proposition, and I said that's fantastic, right? It, until it's unified, we need to operate under the assumption it's only combined. Um, unless you have a, a, a an insightful, a smart manager who realized, no, I'm going to start with the beginning or the, with the end. This, I'm going to, I'm going to act like my team is already the team I want, okay. Um, but they were overly focused on their strengths. And I'm like, if you do that, and, and I'm not going to mention the team, but I did mention, so here's the thing. I actually think that you're on a team that probably isn't going to exist for a long time. Right? It's one of these teams where we're experimenting with things, and I don't think the experiment has succeeded. So the rest of Microsoft is moving towards this model. And if you don't start to transition yourself, if you focus on only your strengths, if my prediction comes true, you're not going to find a job because you're going to be two years behind everybody else in terms of their learning of how to be able to do both successfully. Yeah, and one thing to be clear on, I was afraid of making this point. I agree. But I was afraid of making this point earlier why I hemmed and hawed a little bit. But uh, when I look at a team, of course, it's quality focus, it's collaboration, I, or some things I care about, um, output, um, and uh, maybe technical ability I might throw in there. But I'm looking at how I'm going to, and, and that one's a little iffy, but the first three for sure. So collaboration, I think, is really important. I want to I reward the uh, people who work together and enable others much better, especially at higher levels at Microsoft. Um, I also want um, output. and But clearly, by output, um, one trap to fall into is that output includes customer-facing features only. So I want to... So output is, are you getting work done? And maybe, maybe another one is business impact. So I'm going to look at... If I'm looking at my team, I want to figure out, and again, not stack, I can figure out who wants to get the most rewards. It's not tyranny of ore, but I'm looking at 
you know, who has a great combination of working with others, uh, gets relevant work done. So they get a lot of work done in that work. We've seen people get a lot of work done, but none of that work is actually applicable to anything we care about. Uh, people go off on these science projects forever. The, I can't, you know, those people are, are people I cannot reward. But if you're doing a lot of work, and it may not be feature work, but if you're like enabling the team, like I want to look at someone, if I'm cranking out, I'm making sure that this infrastructure works to make it very easy for devs to check into a CI system and get data out and, and make decisions very, very quickly, et cetera, et cetera. Even if I never write a customer-facing feature, they're doing a ton of output on relevant work and they're helping other people. So although they haven't done a customer-facing feature, they may be one of my most valued employees. Succinctly, like I, I have the same bar. Um, succinctly, the way I and, and I order it. For me, what's important, first and foremost, validated ROI. That you delivered something that was validated as ROI. It drives me bonkers that there, there's a lot of folks highly successful at hand-waving and saying, oh, look at all the awesomeness that we did, when all they did was ship. Well, ship- and, and two weeks later, you, you, uh, you got two people using it. I'm like, no, you didn't deliver ROI. Okay, ROI, business ROI, delivering business ROI is absolutely my first one. The second one is absolutely team collaboration. Hero is a four-letter word. Cannot any longer stand siloism. There, uh, we've we've talked about a blog before, or, or we we did a podcast before. Um, there is a place for heroes, but in general, they're not used in that fashion that we've discussed before. And in general, they drive me bonkers. And often the hero is ends up being a bottleneck. It almost always like, does. Uh, we'll be fine as soon as the hero comes in and, and saves and us. Saves the day. Um, and then, so it was ROI, collaboration, and then lastly is throughput. If I can get these first two principles, the throughput is easy to turn the crank up on. When, when they try to do throughput first and they abandon the other two principles, then things go into the weeds. That's my experience. It was great to have a mailbag item from you, Alan. <laughs> mailbag! <laughs> Yeah, we forget to do the mailbag when it's a question from each of us. Yeah, I don't think it really counts. So uh, one thing, one last thing yeah. is I should probably talk about is I uh, came back from the break after the holiday on Monday. We're having a meeting. We had a little bit of a, um architectural reset on my team. We're going to change our back end, and we're talking about how to get that going. And we're having this discussion, and, and this is totally out of context but one of the uh, – and I tweeted this, and maybe I should just read the, read the tweet. This is words removed and paraphrased to fit in 140 characters. But basically what happened is I, I said this. Uh, peer manager said today that his current plan was to, quote, not worry about tests and quality while his team got their features done. You know, I wrote hashtag last words. And it was just a little bit of an event for me and kind of – you know, it's uh, kind of funny. But um, it has like 20-some-odd retweets and – and 12 likes I thought, well, that struck a nerve or people thought it was pathetic or something. But, and then there were some follow-ups on that where I said, there's some context where I think he meant the right thing. And, and we had a long, we had a talk afterwards and a couple talks afterwards. Um, 
one where I told him he should be fired, but um, uh, <laughs> he, t- he took it well. <laughs> um, so the point is, is when in the world, and again, he didn't use those exact words, but why do smart people, this is, our, I think, our smartest dev manager, why do smart people say dumb things? That, that, to me... That's a very easy answer. You think it's an easy answer? I, I think, think it's, it I, th- I think it's complicated. But I, what, what's your easy answer? No, so it's 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 broad enough that I, I could easily see your typical answer for these type of things. Of it depends would apply. Uh, so, <laughs> but I actually think I can answer it with an equivalently broad answer. Oh, I can't wait. Go. The, the answer is. I'm going to even say always. The wrong combination of fear and hope. That is always the answer. So let me go a little bit more specific. Smart people do dumb things because they're not using their smartness. They're not analyzing. They're using an emotion. And yeah, the emotion and is always going to be... They're influenced by context and largely yeah. emotion. And one of the things I learned a few years ago, I spent some time... Uh, I don't have time for the long story... I, I'll tell it anyway in the brief form. Used to be this thing we did at Microsoft called an MS360, where I as, think you can still do it, but you have to get outsource. As you get up to higher, you know, leadershipish levels, they um, one of the things you can do is a thing called the 360, where they take people from all over the company you've worked with, people that work for you, you work for, you work with, you work outside of your org, and they fill out. Um, this extensively long survey about you and just to kind of get feedback on kind of how you're perceived around people. And I grew up in the Microsoft of, you know, steamroll, take names. And, you know, if you leave bodies in your wake, it's cool. So those were my mentors, my first like 10 years at Microsoft. And that's um, where the good attrition comes from. And we know (laughs) people that still try and act like that. And where I made a big turning point was this 360. And I met with HR and, you know, because they, not, there are, not that I there had are still people as teaching part, that. I know, and they're, and they're idiots. Yeah. As part of this, uh, it was kind of eye-opening because I, I felt like I was doing good. I was emulating my mentors, and and I was having a great time and being a dick. And uh, part of this is you have like a, a one-on-one with some HR person talking to you about stuff, and, and they go, holy cow, Alan, everyone you work with loves you. They think you're fantastic. They also think you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, oh, but is that good or bad? <laughs> you know? no. So I ended up, because what I do is when I want to improve at something, I study the crap out of it. So I read like a half a dozen books on interpersonal awareness, which a lot of people hand wave as, oh, I need to be nice to people. And that is the most shallow. It's it, not. It's like, it's like, to loop this back around at the beginning, it's like learning just enough of the force where you go off on the dark side and become a, and become a jerk. Um. I would say if you wanted to do a broad generalization, it's not being nice to people. It's no, it's understanding. No, it's understanding wh- how you're coming across as well as what other people are saying. It's a different. You need to concentrate on perception and learning about things. Yep. So when I see someone anytime, like that's really stupid. But and a lot of times, like I used to like flip the bozo bit. Like you said something stupid, you're an idiot. I'm never taking anything you say uh, at face value again because you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. But I look at, and I assume for the most part, if someone, especially if someone's fairly senior, they're a smart person. And with this guy, 
he's a smart person. I'm thinking, why would he say that? And it's about context. And the context is, is he had some fear um, about you know getting things up and running. We have a lot of dependencies. Like in order to get the site up and running on the new back end, like it, we need to get you know level stage D or E running before we can actually dog food on it. And it's dependent on A, B, C, and D. And he's thinking, well, if I am blocking these five other things down the road, the important thing is get them unblocked first. And then if I have to make some shortcuts, I will. But once he said that, I said, oh, I'm actually okay with that. I'm actually, I'm all for do not skimp on adding unit tests. Do not skimp on code review. Do not skimp on any of this stuff. Uh, If When push comes to shove, you want to take a little shortcut. I'm not saying write crap, throw away code. But if all you're saying is sometimes you're going to take shortcuts in order to unblock someone, then you're going to go back and do that work. By all means, that's okay because unblocking, I think, is very important. But I want to be exception rather than the rule. But even then, once you unblock, uh, then – you immediately have absolutely, and 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 he was okay with that. But the, he was looking at it from the, uh, I you know I look at things that we want to. The goal is quality. We're not. We're never going to ship if we don't think of quality first. But sometimes there's no rule that I can think of that's written in stone that says you have to follow every single time. You can bend these things for a reason. When I was in college, it was great. I took this, and again, I'm on, on my talent here. Had music theory for two straight years of music theory every morning. Exciting, huh? And we spent the first four or five, four and a half quarters of that, like learning rules. The rule of fifths. uh, That's like day one. So we learned (laughs) rules and rules and rules and rules as, okay, now you know the rules. Now you can break them. Not allowed to break the rules till you understand the rules. Yes. So that works a lot. That, so anyway, that's uh, important. That, that's like the first <laughs> lesson that I, that I teach and, and is broken in agile. True with agile as well. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Learn the rules. Oh, I, there's probably a blog post in there. Yeah. More next time. <laughs> so there's two, two, um, for lack of a better word, I'll say wisdoms that I pass on. That's real uh, relevant to this. When, when mentees come to me first and foremost, Everybody is awesome. It's their behaviors that piss us off. Oh, very, very okay? well put. Just because... I like that nugget. Just because you think they're a dumbass, more than likely it just means their worldview is different than yours. Now, there could be behaviors that are the oil and vinegar with your behaviors, but it doesn't mean that their worldview is necessarily invalid. Okay, this is one of the things that where why I love Strength Finders as a framework because it gives me insight into, okay, this behavior is really pissing me off. How do they look at the world that would explain this behavior, and which enables me to then go have a conversation and say, okay, how do I suggest a behavioral change? Because these people are awesome. I want them in this party. I want them part of the team. Um, but I can't live with how they're doing this behavior. Wait. The second wisdom, this is something I've, I've learned. It's not always true, but it is true so friggin' awesome, or not awesome, often that it is awesome. Um, and that is, in general, the, the worst things people do the behaviors that they do to screw up their own lives is because they are operating 
out of a fear. And they don't often even realize it. The best thing people who are observing this, like you go, you go, wow, this guy, normally really smart, he does, does, does these things really well. But this thing, this thing he's doing, which is completely wrong, is also uncharacteristically um, part of his behavior set. This is a new pattern. This is something I've never seen this guy do before. And I will tell you, 80% of the time, it's because they're afraid of something, even if they are claiming they aren't. So two quick things before we close today is uh, two things come to mind, both from books. I read a huge number of books. Um, Jerry Weinberg has said on multiple occasions, I don't know what, what book or whether it was somewhere else, but it's uh, actually, I do know what book it's from, but I can't remember the name. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, it's always a people problem, mm-hmm. which is true. But what, what is even better, and I really think it's important, if you have to work with people, you need to actually work at it. The same as you work at your code. If you're a consultant, especially, or any sort of leader, as much as you work on your technical skills, you need to work on how you deal with people just as much, and maybe more if you're behind the curve. Uh, Michael Lopp uh, wrote a book called uh, Managing Humans, which is very, very good. There's a whole chapter on FUD, Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt, and how to deal with that in your organization, mm-hmm. which is you know, right along these same lines. And you need to be able to handle that. You need to understand that, you know, people have weird behaviors. They're going to act differently. You need to learn. If you really want to manage someone or lead someone, you need to take time and effort, effort especially, to kind of figure out where they're coming from, what drives them. There's a motivation that makes people say silly things or do dumb things. There's a motivation that made this dev manager say, we're going to make shortcuts. And I reeled him in like the, to make the shortcuts for the exception rather than the rule. And, and working with people is a lot about compromise. It's not about setting hard rules and making people you know, strictly adhere to them. And you and I have both known test managers throughout our career that say, this is the way it's going to be. And you know, I'm in, I own quality and these are the rules, but you, you can have rules, but you also have to understand that sometimes in making progress, I you was can make exceptions. Once, I, I was that test manager once. Ah, it, I'm glad you grew up, Brent. It, and it did not go well. It was the single most important learning lesson in my career. Very cool. We could go on and on on this. I think it's a good subject to explore. More next time. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, But um, our three listeners are tired and probably want to get off to bed. Yes. All right. So Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll be back with episode 34 next time. I am possibly Alan. As am I. (laughs) (laughs) Later. Bye, guys.